All right, everybody, officially, welcome into the Draft Crash Course. Adam Lefko, Connor Rogers. Today's episode is Sleepers and Hidden Gems. As always, welcoming everybody on BR YouTube, Gridiron Twitter, and of course, in the BR app. That's the only place we are reading comments. Submit your videos in the NFL Draft community. If you send one in and we play it, you get a hoodie. Today's episode is Sleepers and Hidden Gems, but before we get into that, I want to talk about some news and rumors, Connor. Justin Fields, he had his pro day. There's a picture of Kyle Shanahan, and they're smiling, and everyone's happy. Not Luka Doncic asks, Justin Fields is good, is he not? Pretty simple question, but I just want to talk about the Fields pro day overall, Connor. Yeah, I mean, number one, he's very good. He's the fourth best player in this draft, if you ask me. I think that's pretty good, and he's one of the better quarterback prospects of the last five years left go. Now, when you look at the pro day, uh, this was a really good opportunity in this year to have a second pro day because teams were able to send a different trio of people. Let's not forget, you can only send three team representatives. So in most cases, when you're investing that selection in a quarterback, a high profile quarterback, a quarterback that's going in the top 10 picks, no matter what mock drafts you read out there, you want everybody in the building to be unified on this decision. So the first pro day, you're probably going to send your GM, your head coach, and then you got to choose, but you're probably going to send your offensive coordinator. A trend we've noticed with a lot of teams picking in the top 10 or the top 15 at the second pro day is you could send your quarterback coach. You could send your director mm. of player personnel. You can send a wide receivers coach. You could ascend. What's you the could, buzz uh, on fields right now, Connor? Uh, that he's uh, still a really good quarterback that – He's in play at number three for the 49ers, no matter how much Mac Jones hype you hear. And I've been saying this every week. I've never been one to be sold that Mac Jones was a lock at number three. It's interesting to see a lot of people start to walk back from that right now. This is a long month left, go. You've been through this many, many times. How many, many people are walking back the Mac Jones at three lock right now? How many people? I think a lot of people in the national media are starting to not act like it's the lock we once thought it was. And I think this is an interesting three-man race between Mac Jones, between Trey Lance, who is somebody I believe was going to be the pick when they made this trade, and of course, Justin Fields. And when it comes down to it, you have to ask the question, is Mac Jones a guy that you're going to trade three first-round picks for? He's a good quarterback prospect. Make no mistake about that. But is he somebody that you mortgage your entire future on when a situation where you're sitting there and you're saying, hey, we're betting on this guy to be a future top 10 passer in the league? I don't think a lot of people, including myself, are believing that with Mac Jones, but it's easier to see that future carved out for Fields or Trey Lance with the special talent that they have. So uh, number three of this draft is going to be fascinating. We're going to be sitting on that desk uh, waiting for it to unfold. And it just goes to show you this is no lock for any of those three guys yet. I just want an updated weekly thing. This does not mean this is what your final pick is. We're going to be live on draft night, Bleacher Report, all that stuff. Uh, right now, how do you, where do you see these quarterbacks going, not Zach Wilson, not Trevor Lawrence, as we record this on Thursday? I'm going to go with my original prediction as it stands. I think Trey Lance goes to three with the 49ers. Now, I do think this is the toughest one to predict because Justin Fields is a great fit in that offense, and you've heard all of the hype around Mac Jones. And then ultimately, I think the number fourth pick in the draft is going to be for sale by Atlanta. This has been a long process mm. for them to figure this out. Do we take our quarterback of the future, sit him behind Matt Ryan for two years, and then let him go? The way they restructured Matt Ryan's money tells me that they're not going to do that right now. And then 
logistically, it just makes the most sense to trade out of that pick and get the value and get a lot more assets for the future with a new GM and a new head coach. So I think we're going to have a team move up to four, whether that's the Patriots, whether that's the Broncos, whether maybe the Bears or Washington tries to get in the mix. I think number four would be a really, really no-brainer decision to take Justin Fields as well. So when it comes down to it, I think there's going to be five quarterbacks taken in the top 10 of this draft. And just because the Panthers got Sam Darnold, I don't think it's 100% luck that they don't take one if the guy falls as well. Let's get to our big topic for today, which was sleepers and hidden gems. Uh, Really quickly, how do you designate whether someone is a sleeper or a hidden gem? What is the Connor rules? They have to be a day three player in the eyes of the NFL consensus for me, right? Now, I might bump these guys up into round three, sometimes when things get crazy round two. Uh, But the general rule of thumb is that they are expected to go on day three, Adam Lefko. And a lot of the guys that we talk about today might not even be drafted. I love wide receiver sleepers. So for our first one, give me a sleeper wide receiver I likely have never heard of. Yeah, Antonio Nunn from Buffalo. Let's start right there. Coming from an offense that does not throw the ball a lot. This is a player that was phenomenal in the MAC. But if you have questions about his level of competition, watch the plays right here against Penn State. I mean, this guy is a really, really good player. Good acceleration off the line of scrimmage. He knows how to vary the speed in his routes. And what I like about him most, Lefko, is the late hands, is the ability to trick defensive backs and get his hands up right at the arrival of the football. And he's got a little juice after the catch. The 10-yard split matches that acceleration. A 1-5-6 10-yard split is a Very important number to me for a wide receiver. And just goes to show you, this guy knows how to get open in that 10 to 20-yard kind of range that matters so much in the modern NFL. So I look at Antonio Nunn and say, hey, I value him pretty early on day three. Do I think he's going to be drafted at some point? Absolutely. I look at a team like the Seahawks. They don't have a lot of picks. They could use another player on the back end of their wide receiver room that can come in and make plays right away, a reliable underneath target. I really, really like Antonio Nunn in Seattle, and I like the player overall. There's been no buzz about him. It's probably because of the lack of overall eye-popping production, but don't blame him. Blame the offense. Watch the plays and opportunities he does make uh, because he takes advantage of all of them. I have a very simple brain. Who does he remind you of? Who's his pro player comparison? That's a really good question, and honestly, I don't really see one for him yet right now. I think when you look at it, the player comparisons are going to go in the top 100 kind of guys. Now, if you're looking for the – I'll give you a poor man's version because people overreact to player comps. But the poor man's version to me would be Chris Godwin, somebody that knows how to function in and out of the slot, catches everything his way, those late hands, that body type, that more compact, muscled-up body type. So there's a you know an exaggerated version, yes – But if you are looking for the play style, that's the guy. I have heard there's a lot of really good slot receivers in this draft. Finally, it's a position that's getting its just due. We have an app comment from Duran MSN. Don't sleep on Smith Marset. He broke records. Guess what? Consider me snoozing. I don't know enough about this guy, Connor. Does he fit into your sleepers? He absolutely does. I'm glad that we got this question because he's on the sleepers rundown. When you look at Amir Smith-Marset, 
The speed is what jumps off the tape to me for him. He's returned two kicks for touchdowns in 2019. He knows how to win vertically. He's not the strongest guy at the catch point, but he knows how to take the top off of a defense. And I think Iowa just wasn't creative enough with his skill set. I think that in this modern NFL that uses a lot of motion, that uses a lot of jet sweeps, teams that like to use screens and allow their guys to get upfield, I think that's what you're looking at for him. And you want to talk about a pro player comparison. He reminds me of Paul Richardson, someone that is a slender kind of body, has really good speed off the line of scrimmage, knows how to win down the field. And I just think there's more production for him at the next level than what we got to see for the Hawkeyes. I am a huge fan of underutilized position players that never get their just due. I like that. So where are you thinking possibly for him if you were to go in day three? I look at the Colts, right? You got your boy Carson Wentz there. They're a team that they've tried to get these vertical threats in the past. They did a nice job trying to get, you know, T.Y. Hilton back on a, a team-friendly deal, but he's been banged up over the years. Yeah, I know they took Paris Campbell. Yeah, they, you know, they took Paris Campbell early a couple years ago, somebody else that's missed time with injury. They're still trying to find a down-the-field target, a consistent one but they know how to do it at wide receiver at bargain value. So I think when you look at Amir Smith-Marset, he's more of that fourth round, fifth round kind of player for me. And that fits the strategy of the Colts under Chris Ballard and Ned Dodds. MBRR12 says, I have Smith-Marset as my outside wide receiver five, Emmanuel Sanders 2.0, TM42. I agree. He's another massive sleeper. I like those. Uh, What about a running back? Do you have a running back sleeper for me? Yeah, I'm going to go with Elijah Mitchell. I think when you look at him coming out of, you know, yeah, with Elijah, Elijah Mitchell coming out of Louisiana, just really good straight line speed, Lefko. Now, he has a lot of experience as a zone runner in this offense, but I think when you can get him downhill, you can see that 4-3 kind of speed, a good body for, to run like that. I do think the contact balance is pretty good. You could see him stay Ooh. on his feet, and he knows how to make a move at the second level of the field. So, This is not my favorite running back class. This is not the typical running back class where you sit there and go, hey, we can wait until day three and get our starter. But if you look at someone that's coming out of a committee that has experience not only as his own runner, but also gap opportunities as well, man blocking schemes, he's a polished player in that regard. He can come into a committee and take some carries. And that's why the fit for him would be the Denver Broncos. We know that they have their workhorse runner already there in Melvin Gordon You know, how things end with Philip Lindsay, you know, they have Royce Freeman as the backup, but you still need one more body in there behind Melvin Gordon, who's also been banged up throughout his NFL career. It's going to happen playing running back in the NFL. So Elijah Mitchell, a really good downhill runner, enough speed to be an outside runner. I think he fits the Broncos committee. And then just kind of looking over some of the notes that I've seen, he's an after contact monster, huh? Yeah, he really is. I mean, this is someone that broke uh, over 40 tackles, I believe, and had 500 of his rushing yards after that initial contact. So in this Ooh. offense, there's a lot of plays where he, the first defender is getting to him behind the line of scrimmage, and he knows how to keep charging forward. He knows how to stay on his feet with that contact balance. And, and when you have that kind of speed, you're a bit of a weapon in the second level of the field. So Once again, it's not the most exciting running back class on day three, but I look for players with traits and experience and with Mitchell's speed and a lot of production. And you heard Mike Renner say it on last week's show from Pro Football Focus. One thing that tends to translate with running backs in terms of numbers is missed tackles forced. And that's really the name of his game. 
offensive lineman that you can find on day three can change your franchise. Now, sometimes these guys go earlier than we think just because of the value of offensive linemen, but who's someone right now that you have targeted as a third-day guy that could be a sleeper? It's Kendrick Green from Illinois who has experience at guard and center. The athleticism is off the charts. And I think when you look at Kendrick Green, all of these teams running wide zone rushing attacks are going to fall in love with him because of how quick he is getting to the second level of the field, climbing to linebackers. It really jumps out with him. And in a league that's always looking for versatility along the interior offensive line, Green's got that. Like I said, starts at left guard, starts at center, 48540 for a guy over 300 pounds, 36-inch vertical jump left go. I have thoughts that this offensive lineman can dunk. He really, really plays with an edge as well, considering he's not the biggest offensive lineman on the field. So the fit for me would be the New York Jets. They went out and gave Connor McGovern a pretty good contract two years ago to be their center. He has experience at guard. I think if you look at Kendrick Green at the top of round three, pick 66, or maybe even pick 86, that Seattle third rounder, you sit there and go, we'll kick Connor McGovern to guard. We'll put Kendrick Green at center, a way better scheme fit for what we want to do, bringing over these guys from the 49ers to coach our rushing attack. And now you've upgraded two spots. You upgraded your center position. You've upgraded from Alex Lewis or Greg Van Rotten at guard uh, by kicking McGovern over. So Kendrick Green's getting slept on. He is the guy on this list that is not a day three player. Although he gets viewed as one, there's no way he belongs in that day three conversation. When I think about centers that can run, I think about Jason Kelsey. And let's not forget, Jason Kelsey was a sixth round pick. Athletic centers that can get out is a mismatch that certain teams just don't have, right, Connor? Yeah, Corey Lindsley, another guy that was a late pick. Absolutely. I mean, it happens it happens every year, Lefko. And you look at the athletic comps for green. If you go on a site like Mock Draftable or one of these sites like uh, Relative Athletic Score that has comparable numbers to show these guys, green is in a league of his own. Lefko, when we do the draft show, I color code my doc for things that stand out. If you get that C blue, that icy blue on a number, that means you're in the 90 plus percentile. And green had that in the 40 yard dash. He had that in the vertical jump as well. You just really don't see athletes at the interior offensive line like this guy. And the film is good where it's not a question about technique or anything like that. So he's someone that excites me in a league that is really starting to move towards more wide rushing attacks. Let's also remind everybody that when you go to game day as an NFL roster, you might only bring in seven or eight offensive linemen. And to have a guy that in case a guard goes down, a center goes down, can do multiple positions, you are instantly more valuable. Let's take a break right now from Sleepers and Hidden Gems. People that have listened to the Left Go Show know if you want to make money, you take Connor Rogers' advice on prop bets. I believe he said months ago to take Mac Jones under 15 that bet right now, you're not going to find that anywhere because it just sounds ridiculous. So, Connor, I got one for you. Najee Harris, the line is at 29 and a half. So you're really betting, does he sneak in at the end of the first round? Would you go over or under? And by the way, just to clarify, under means he gets drafted beforehand, right? Yes, it does. And to answer this question, Lefko, I think he goes under. I've made a lot of calls okay. on this exact topic the last two weeks. Hey, what's the deal with the running backs? Because the more research I did on the back end, the day three guys like Elijah Mitchell, I sat there and went, man, if you need a starting running back and you miss on Najee, you miss on Etienne, 
You miss on Javante. You miss on Kenny Gainwell. Good luck. You're throwing darts at that Mm. point. It is not a running back class that's very deep. So I look at Najee Harris, and I think the conversation starts with the Pittsburgh Steelers there, I believe at pick 24. So when you look at it, I don't see him making it out of the first round. I don't see him going after pick. You know, it would have to be pick 30 and above. Najee Harris is going in the first round in my eyes. A rare three-down runner. He could pass protect. He can catch the ball. He creates with the ball in his hand. He creates his own yards at the second level of the field. Everybody's freaking out about no 40 time. I've watched the tape for quite a few years. I mean, even going back to high school, but at his college level in the SEC, he runs away from SEC defenders. No worry there. I take the under all day on this one. Miami would be interesting at 18. Pittsburgh now would be interesting at 24 with James Conner signing with Arizona. A few interesting teams. Sounds like there's not a lot of Cam Akers in this draft. Okay, Devontae Smith will undoubtedly be the guy that will define draft evaluations. Look what he did in college, but look at his frame. I've heard the Marvin Harrison comps. I see the over-under at 11.5. Is he going before that or after that? Under or over? A little more risk here, but I'm going under. And the reason I think that is if you're the New York Giants picking at 11, you you get, went out and gave Kenny Galladay a lot of money, sure. But you've really stuck your foot in the ground and said Daniel Jones is our guy. And he has to be for someone like Dave Gettleman to keep his job. You're going to keep stacking the deck, Lefko. You're going to give him all the weapons in the world. And if you passed on Devontae Smith at 11, Uh, I know a team in the division that you're familiar with that would like to draft his services at the wide receiver position in the Philadelphia Eagles. So for Devontae Smith, there are a lot of Alabama connections on that New York Giants staff. They've done their homework. If he makes it to 11, I just don't see how he gets by them. If they don't take him at 11 and the Eagles reunite Jalen Hurts with Devontae Smith, I will be very excited on draft night. That's something I can sign up for. Because you know where Marvin Harrison was born and lived? Philadelphia. Sounds like it's finally coming full circle. I would like that a lot. Okay, next one, Penny Sewell. Many people see him as the best left tackle prospect in this draft. I know there's a lot of talk about Rashawn Slater maybe being more physically imposing. The over-under I have here is six and a half. So what Vegas is saying is, will he get past the Dolphins at six? What's your read, under or over? Yeah, and they started to backpedal on this one. When I got it and it launched, it was five and a half. And that goes to show you how many people took the over that they already bumped this up. And I'm still going to take the over on this. I think when you look at it, Lefko, we had this conversation with Andrew Whitworth on the first ever draft crash course. There are a lot of teams in the NFL that have Rashawn Slater as the top offensive lineman in this draft. Yeah, I'm seeing now, that more. When I look at when I look at Penny Sewell, he's someone that's going to be 20 years old the first month of his rookie NFL season, and he's already wow. this talented at left tackle. So I don't understand it. He's the number two player overall for me in this class. But the more conversations I have. I do think he makes it out by pick, he makes it out of pick six. I think he's going to be more towards it might even create a conversation for the Cowboys at 10. Do we have to take wow. these guys our offensive line ages? Why? Why? It, it, because you know what it is? I think that teams like they view Slater as this finished product. They view him as somebody that has reps against Chase Young and looked the part. But outside of that, it's hard for me to get on board. I've heard people say that, you know, Sewell doesn't have the same balance in pass pro. 
I don't get it. The size is there. The yeah, that's what I'm saying. There. Take out take out the comps to Rashawn Slater. Penny Sewell as a prospect. What are they dinging him for? I just think they feel he's a little raw in pass pro right now. That he's somebody that can get in the habit of lunging. And once again, I don't see these. I don't see these things. Enough evidence, sample size on film where it's an issue. Everybody said this for Makai Becton as well. That he's not technically the perfect mm. player. But when you're you have these kind of feet. At that size, you're a dancing bear. You're that nimble. Nobody's getting by you. And when you can move bodies to the sideline in the run game off the screen, it doesn't matter. So yeah, that, that, that's an players. Auburn defensive lineman year. right there. Yeah, yeah, he's not just playing against the Pac-12. And even if he was, we get pass rushers out of there. So with Penny Sewell, it's a classic case, I think, of the league overthinking this one. He should be the first offensive lineman off the board. But if I'm a betting man, I feel okay about the money of him getting out of pick six and, and going somewhere between seven to ten. Yeah, I think I'm seeing a lot of people right now wanting to reunite Jam- Jamar Chase with Joe Burrow, which seems to be precipitating this fall. So we'll see. Okay, let's get I back think to Joe sleepers. Burrow wants to reunite Jamar Chase with Joe Burrow is what's going on there. And you know what? What Joe Burrow wants, Joe Burrow gets. Uh, let's take our sleepers over to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, pass rusher is. That's what's been so interesting about this top 10, because usually it is quarterbacks, offensive linemen, wide receivers, and pass rushers, and there's just none that are up there. So I want one, a, a third round, fourth round sleeper that maybe we're missing on here. Who do you got for me? Yeah, it's going to start with Cam Sample from Tulane, an edge pass rusher, more hand in the dirt kind of player uh, that I really like. I think he's a top 100 player. I think he's somebody that could sneak into day two. I think he's got powerful hands. He controls the point of attack. He knows how to bull rush. He puts on a show at the goal line. He's somebody that does not want you crossing the goal line into the end zone. And he understands leverage. He understands how to get on the inside of offensive linemen's pads that are much bigger than him. Who he reminds me of, Lefko, by saying all this? Trey Flowers, another edge rusher that went very, very late late in the draft considering the talent and how reliable he was against the run, a power rusher. It's funny. He's got a player across from him, Patrick Johnson. That's a totally different style edge that I like. Cam Sample is the the power guy. He's the I can run through you kind of player and so sturdy against the run. So I look at, I know they just signed an edge named Jadavion Clowney, but I look at the Cleveland Browns. Now you don't have to take that edge guy at 26. You don't have to do it at the end of the second round. You, can, you have two third rounders. You can wait a little bit to take Cam Sample. You don't have to take one in the first round, and you can rotate him on the field. We know Clowney's injury history. There's a reason that deal is loaded with incentives of him being on the field, being on the 46-man roster. So they still need a little insurance there. But, man, Cam Sample is somebody that I think he's better than a lot of the edge rushers that get more hype. Uh, I have been a fan of doing these dream drafts recently. So you're saying the Browns, let's say they get him in the third round. Build me the dream draft for the Browns. One, two, and they have two third round picks. So they still have a needed off-ball linebacker. So round one at pick 26, let's get Zayvon Collins from Tulsa. Somebody that is a really good athlete, can run and cover, can blitz, good range against the run. Uh, and he's kind of a freak show. I mean, I compared him to Anthony Barr, the same exact athletic profile. Not a lot of players that are 260-plus pounds move like this. And, and you see the linear speed, the ability to come downhill and crush the quarterback. He does the same thing against the run. Wow. So for the Browns, they got help on the edge. They've built a really good roster over the years where they don't have crazy needs. 
you have a little bit of a needed off-ball linebacker, take Saban Collins, a round one player. Round two, let's get a deep threat in Diami Brown. I know they have two starting receivers. I know they have Higgins as a third guy. But you got to be thinking two years ahead in the draft sometimes, Lefko. This guy wins vertically over and over again. If you want to try to jam him at the line of scrimmage, uh, you better show up with those hands. You better throw those hands or that's going to happen to you. So, listen, the Browns wide receiver room might look a little different after this year. Get a head start on it now in a great wide receiver class and somebody that tracks the ball really well, wins vertically, threatens vertically. I think he has a little more juice after the catch than people are giving him credit for. So the Browns, you get an athletic off-ball linebacker in round one. You get a deep threat wide receiver in round two. We talked about Cam Sample already in round three, but you got another third-round pick. Let's get that rotational nose tackle in Tyler Shelvin, somebody that did not play this year. I mean, this dude is an F-350 left go. 350 pounds. He just eats space in the middle of the field. Can two-gap. He's not going to play every snap. He's not going to be asked to rush the passer on passing downs. But to eat space in the middle of the field against the run, Tyler Shelvin's a good value pick there at the end of round three. I'll tell you what, that North Carolina wide receiver, there are certain times where you can just put on tape and you go, he's got those roadrunner legs where the, the other guy's legs are not moving that fast. Uh, my favorite comment after you went through that dream draft was TM42, who said, hey, Zeus, that draft is insane. I just want to get I a little bit of a different into this. Game, see, game. <laughs> uh, I will say, I forgot, it's going to be big for the Browns to get Grant Delpit back. That defense kind of struggled a little bit late in the year. They could really make some big strides now that you got Jadavian Clowney and Miles Garrett on opposite sides. It's going to be a lot of fireworks there. Uh, do you have another edge rusher for me that could also be seen as a sleeper? Tell me about this Patrick Johnson guy. You talked about Cam Sample. I could see there was a twinkle in your eye when it came to Patrick Johnson. Man, it's funny, Lefko. I got to the Tulane tape in April, which is very late in my process, and I said they have not one but two edge pass rushers that are top 100 players that are day two picks. Patrick Johnson is the anti-Cam Sample. The only thing that's the same is they understand how to use their hands, but he is all speed and first step off the edge. He's explosive off the edge, a really good first step, and he's got an array of pass rush moves, whether it's that outside speed rush where he turns the corner. I've seen him work an inside spin. I've seen him counter inside. He reminds me of D Ford, not somebody that you want hand in the dirt, first down or, or second and short, stop the run, hold the point of attack. No. This guy knows where the money is. That's the sacks, getting after the quarterback, creating plays, creating turnovers. I look at Patrick Johnson. He excites me. When you could stand up and rush with that kind of speed off the edge and turn the corner, it doesn't matter the level of competition because that's going to work at the next level. That is a translatable trait we see work over and over again. So Patrick Johnson, to me, I know the Vikings – have, some, have a need at edge. They could use a little bit more pass rush juice on the outsides, assuming even if Daniil Hunter comes back healthy. I like the scheme fit there in Minnesota. Patrick Johnson knows where the money resides. Good to know. Uh, by the way, that linebacker that you showed earlier, Zayvon Collins, that was an athlete. Anytime I could see a linebacker in 23, that was some special stuff. I want a linebacker that will not be going in the first round. I want a sleeper. Who do you have for me? 
Yeah, Tony Fields from West Virginia, a transfer of West Virginia. With Tony Fields, it's really the opposite. It's all instincts, right? It's That's not what Zayvon Collins is. Zayvon Collins is all athlete. With Tony Fields, it's I'm going to read my keys. You see him moving before the snap. He knows where the ball is going, and you see it in coverage as well. He just knows how to read everything underneath the read and react, the hustle when they did let him blitz, a big-time hustle player. He's not the biggest guy on the field. He's not the fastest guy on the field, but he just understands the flow in front of him and how to shoot gaps, how to make plays. I don't even think Lefko will be a third, fourth, maybe not even a fifth-round pick, and it would not shock me if he's a sub-package linebacker early on. So Tony Fields, all he's done in college is, is make plays, and smart linebackers stick around in the league for a long time, even if it's just on special teams. So you know, I look at the Packers, they have a need at linebacker. Maybe they don't want to invest an early asset in one. They want to get more of a bargain player. They want a guy that's smart and has four years of starting experience on his plate, had a really good showing at the Senior Bowl. I think Green Bay on day three is where I would look at Tony Fields. Let's go to that back line, secondary, safety, corner, wh- whichever you want. Your pick, Connor. Who's the one that jumps out? Is it a hidden gem? Well, let's get a mix of both. Divine Diablo. How about that name? Diablo. He's a big safety. He's somebody that is just huge. He's built like Cam Chancellor, and he's got these long arms. Uh, He could sit in a cover two shell. You can have him sit single high. He could play the slot. He comes downhill like a thumper. You see the big body, and guys just bounce off of him. Divine Diablo is somebody that in round three would really excite me. What I like to call matchup player, Lefko. He can run the seam with tight ends. He can run the wheel with running backs. He could sit over the top in coverage and get physical. You'd like to see him come down with that one, but his teammates should stay out of his way. So uh, he's just one of those players that is all traits based. You love the length. You love the size. You love what he can do in coverage. And in a league that someone like Johnny Smith is out here getting the, the getting the bag, Kyle Pitts is going in the top 10. You need these big body safeties that can give at least a chance against these tight ends. And he went to Virginia Tech, and for all the people in their mid-30s out there, it just brings me back to the time of uh, Macho Harris and those incredible runs of safeties there at Virginia Tech. Well, who could you see? And by the way, Divine Diablo, like wonderful devil? Oh, my goodness. Where is, where is Divine Diablo going to end up? I look at the Dallas Cowboys. I think they can use one of these matchup players in this division. And the Cowboys, I mean, they have a chance to do something special in this draft. It just seems like they're in a sweet spot across the board when you look at all the picks. And and they're a team that they've kind of given a half-hearted effort at safety over the years, right? They're like, we think we can get by with this guy. We think we could sign this guy for one year, or we can draft this guy in the sixth round. Maybe it's time to make a little bit of an investment, not a crazy one, a third round investment where you have two third round picks. I think he'd be the first of those third round picks, but I think for the Dallas Cowboys, for Dan Quinn, we know how much he loved to use Keanu Neal as this kind of hybrid safety. Divine Diablo would be the similar, similar way I see the fit. Before we get into the dream draft, and I know we're coming up against it, why is he not seen as a higher draft pick? Just from what I'm watching right here, he looks great. I think he is, and I think he's one of the better kept secrets, maybe. And I think, you know, the draft community catches on to everything, but in the NFL, uh, they don't view him as a sleeper or a hidden gem. They view him as if he's on the board to start round three, uh, it's not going to be very long before his name is called. 
Let's do a Dallas dream draft. They have the 10th pick in the first round. Let's say they get Diablo in the third, which we're already saying sounds like a steal. Who are you taking one, two, and what their other third round pick as well? So the key here is dream draft, right? What is the dream scenario for the Dallas Cowboys? I understand their fans have talked about Sertain and Horn. I get it. But dream draft, let's think big. Kyle Pitts. I know they don't need more playmakers, but man, it would be fun to see a super offense with Kyle Pitts. And if you're the Cowboys at 10, are you letting the Giants or Eagles have a shot at Kyle Pitts? I don't think you are. Now you have C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, Ezekiel Elliott, Dak Prescott. And Kyle Pitts, I somebody's got to get the one-on-ones. I, it would be crazy when you look at that that Dallas draft, that Dallas offense. Mm. And the reason I feel okay taking Kyle Pitts, the BPA approach, I know Dallas's needs. They can solve them in the later rounds. Don't have fear. Round two, if Fatu Melifonwu can come in and be a day one starter in this, any relation to Obi Melifonwu? Yes, there is a relation there. I believe it's his brother. So when you look at it, they are uh, cut from the same cloth as amazing athletes. He can run the deep third of the field in that scheme. He's got really good reactive click and close coming downhill. So if Fatou Melifanwu is your starting corner, if you want Sertain or J.C. Horn at pick 10, I get it. But I'm giving you the solution that you can get by on. Melifanwu's an underrated player. People are... He could have made the sleeper show. I don't know how he doesn't go in the top two rounds, but I wouldn't pass on him in this situation. We talked about Diablo in round three, so you solved your need at corner. You got a safety. I know you have a need on the interior of the defensive line. Aleem McNeil, the immovable object. This guy knows how to contain the run, clog his gaps, uh, hold the point of attack. You don't need to draft defensive tackles in round one or two. You can find guys that stop the run in round three, Round four, round five, Aleem McNeil with the Cowboys' second, third round pick. This is a way that they got one of the best players in the draft and still solved their most pressing needs. Uh, Connor Rogers fan says that's the most athletic draft of all time. MBRR12 to your late pick there, McNeil. He has the upside and quickness off the snap to be the best defensive tackle in the class. And then also, what do we have? And then uh, Andrew Magnuson saying, Big Slim McNeil. I'm excited to go watch him. Are you ready for app comment, rapid fire Q&A? Let's go. Okay. Uh, We are going to start with a video comment. Let's give it up to see my folks. Hey, guys. We hear a lot about how defenses have to adjust for the speediest guys in the NFL, the Tyree Kills, the Jalen Waddles, the Daniel Jones. And if you have a guy like Caleb Farley, who reportedly ran 24 miles an hour against Notre Dame, How does that speed on the defensive side affect just how much a defensive coordinator has to game plan for those speedsters on offense? Timeout. Did he just put Daniel Jones in the same category as Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell, or did I hear the name wrong? Just a phenomenal lead-up to a question. And the facts are the facts. The numbers are the numbers. Unbelievable. Okay, let's. (laughs) well done, CMF folks. You are getting a, a hoodie. Uh, Connor, speed of Caleb Farley. Do offenses need to game plan for that? Yeah, because you know he can run down the field with your deep threats one-on-one. That's the When you can island, guys, it changes what you can do as a defensive coordinator because it takes away a matchup. It cuts down uh, the numbers. So I think when you look at it, it is an interesting point. Now, it's not shocking he's this kind of player because he was a high school quarterback. So he's more of... Hey, I'm the best athlete wherever I go. 
the ball production was incredible. 25 pass deflections in 24 games, Lefko. So you need to be careful when targeting this guy. If you go near him, that can be points the other way. He can take the ball and bring it back Mm. to the house. You don't want to see the ball in his hands because, quite frankly, those guys on offense most of the time, not very interested in trying to tackle in that scenario. So I think when you look at it, it's a fascinating question because he's one of those guys that can be the matchup player against these rare speedsters in the NFL. But he's also someone that you might not want to throw his way a lot because that can really, really hurt you. I have no questions about Caleb Farley, the athlete or the player. All the questions are medical related. All right, Connor, we're going to have to go really rapid fire because I am about to pee my pants. Here we go. B. Johnson, 227. Why aren't more people talking about Kylan Hill? You know, opted out early, didn't explode in Mike Leach's offense. I thought he'd have a little more juice as a runner, but he can make you miss. I think he can catch the ball better than given credit for. I think people are sleeping on him just because, you know, the explosive numbers might not have always been there. And he's not going to test as an elite athlete. He's a good one. So I think when you look at it, that's probably, you know, the crux of the, the main point of the argument. All right. Uh, keep it going. Rapid fire. Big smooth. 75. Lions best option at pick number seven. <sighs> Man, that's tricky. I think they should trade the pick. Honestly, I, think, I, I don't take Micah Parsons at seven. I know a lot of people have talked linebacker at seven. I'm okay if you want to keep stacking the deck at offensive line, although I don't, you, they don't need to. I'll tell you this. If Justin Fields falls to seven, I don't care that you traded for Jared Goff. Take Justin Fields at seven. Uh, I agree. And, and you know what? You just admitted that you lost the bet to me a few years ago. That uh, was perfect. Uh, Zach Eklund, who is the second best tight end in the draft? Go. It's probably going to be Pat Fryermoth from Penn State, but it's not really something that gets you too excited. I, I think you look at him, Tommy Tremble, and Brevin Jordan are that next tier of guys, but Kyle Pitts is in a league of his own. My prostate is about to shut down. Connor Rogers killed it, as always. Thank you to everybody commenting in the app. It was a fun time. Thank you with your patience earlier today. Thank you to everybody watching on Twitter, YouTube. We are getting ready, I believe, next week to announce some of the people joining us on the desk. It's going to be an awesome time. We are two weeks away. 14 days, April 29th. It is going to be a doozy. Connor Rogers, I am Adam Lefko. We will holla, holla, holla at you later. Have a great day, everybody.